You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's our guest speaker. Am I on a wow? My name is Pastor Mark Hazen. I'm from... Goodness. Now you can hear me, and I can hear myself. Um, you, you're, you're heading on a vacation this afternoon. You head down to Detroit Metro Airport, and um, you find yourself a parking place in the, in the parking garage, and uh, you head across that concrete jungle, and uh, you make your way into that airline check-in. Uh, you get through all the crowds, and you finally get to that airline check-in, and you make your way through all those turnstiles, all those long lines, and uh, you finally get yourself up to the counter and where you're going to check your luggage and confirm your boarding pass and then check in for your flight. And uh, you're excited about all this. You're just really wanting to get through all of this and grab your expensive airport coffee and sit down and be ready to take your flight. But you get to the counter and uh, you're checking in and uh, they check your boarding pass and that's all good and they, uh, your flight is on time and you're ready to go there and you've done all the things that you need to do. And uh, while you're there checking in, they ask you if you, if you have packed any personal items, uh, your bathroom bag, your makeup bag, your prescription medicine, stuff like that. And of course, you inform them that you've done that and uh, that following the rules, you've not put them in your carry-on luggage, but you've actually put them in your checked luggage and they're going through to the end, to your destination. And uh, they inform you at that time, well, they, they need to check those personal items to make sure that they're in compliance. And so you're like, oh, that's all right. And so they, they open up your checked bag there at the counter and of course, they rifle through all your stuff, right? So everything that was neatly packed is no longer neatly packed. And uh, they get to your bathroom bag and they, they find your prescription medicines and your, your bathroom bag and your medicines and, and uh, makeup, all that stuff. And uh, as they're going through that, they inform you that all of your personal items are not going to make it through to your destination because they're not in the appropriate containers. Now, you're a little taken back by this because you're like, oh, that can't be the case because last night I was on the TSA website and I followed all of the parameters so that all of our stuff would go through. I mean, I've got all the right containers, all the right sizes, liquids the right size, everything. So I can't understand what the problem is. And uh, while you're sharing that with them, they come back to you and they say, well, uh, here at Detroit Metro Airport, for the safety and convenience of our customers we have enacted a stricter set of policies and your containers are not the right ones and they're not going to make it through to your final destination. So again, you're flabbergasted. You've got 1,400 impatient travelers behind you. You're at the counter and you're like, well, what do I do? Those things have got to go through. I'm going to an all-inclusive all resort. I'm not going to have access to go out and buy you know, toothpaste and toothbrush and shampoo and all that. I need those things at the other end. What am I supposed to do? And uh, they say, well, we have a solution for you. Uh, because we've enacted these stricter sets of policies, we've actually set up a booth just a, a few yards down the corridor here, and uh, we have the bottles that you need. And so if you will buy our bottles, you can get your stuff through to the destination. You're like, you've got to be kidding me. You're like, no. And as a matter of fact, they're, they're kind, and they say, we'll save your place in the line. You won't have to go back through all that turnstile and all those people. We'll save your place right here, but if you'll just go down the corridor and go to the booth that we've set up, you can purchase 
all the containers that you need to get your stuff through the destination. And so what do you do? You're like, ah, you're stuck. So you step out of line and you go down to the booth and sure enough, they have these plastic containers sitting there and, and you can buy them. And you're looking at these containers and of course, at Walmart, you could get them from about a buck a piece, right? Well, they have them in sets of three for the low, low price of $17.99. And of course, one set isn't going to do you. You're going to need at least two just for your wife's stuff. And so you're looking at this and you're like, good grief, now I, you know, I, I've got to um, buy these containers. And so you're like, all right, I will do it. That's what I've got to do. And so you pull out your wallet and, uh, and you start counting out cash. And you're going to give them $35 for two sets of these containers. And you start counting out the cash and they're like, oh, no, 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 we don't take cash. Like, oh, okay, all right, well, take my visa. And so you pull out your visa and you go to hand it to them and they're like, oh, no, we don't take visa either. Like, well, good grief. You're like, no, the only thing that we do use here are TSA tokens. Do you have any TSA tokens? You're like, no, I don't have any TSA tokens. What in the world are you talking about? Oh, we have, that. We have a solution for that too. Because if you don't have TSA tokens, you can go to the kiosk right next to us and you can exchange dollars for TSA tokens. You can get five TSA tokens for a dollar. And it looks like you're going to need about 175 TSA tokens to buy the... Are you annoyed yet? Uh, tell me, what, what are you going to do in this situation? You have limited options. Uh, you're either going to grudgingly make the purchase and buy your TSA tokens and buy your bottles and take them back to the counter and make all the exchanges so that your stuff makes it to the destination. You're going you're to buy the stuff. Or you're going to be like, forget it. Just throw that stuff away. I'll get there. I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do on the other end. I'll tell you what you're not going to do. You're not going to throw a fit and take on the TSA and the airport security at that moment. It might be unjust, and you may not like it, and you might be super annoyed by it. But you're either going to buy the stuff so that your stuff gets through, or you're just going to skip it all together, or maybe you'll just bail out and like, I'll rent a car. I'll find another way down to... But what you're not going to do is you're not going to try to right the wrongs at that moment and take on the TSA, the Travel Security Authority, and the... You know why you're not going to do that? Because you don't want to sit half-dressed in a padded room while they talk to you about terrorist cells, right, or whatever. You're not going to throw a scene there. You're just not going to do it. Now, with that imagination in mind, I, I now want you to look at John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 13. This is pretty familiar. I'm sure you've read this before. But let's think through this account. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Can we pause there for just a moment? The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Uh, the Passover was one of those seven holidays that God had established for his people, right? And you remember those seven holidays. You have Passover, first fruits, unleavened bread, Pentecost. Then you have trumpets, tabernacles, atonements. Those are the seven holidays that God has established for his people. Three of those seven holidays are traveling holidays. Passover is one of them. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles are where the nation of Israel would pack their bags and they would travel to Jerusalem and they would stay there for a week and celebrate these holidays. Passover is one of these holidays. You want to know something interesting? The Jews at this time would spend over a third of their income on these three traveling holidays. How would you like to have a line item in your budget that just says traveling holidays, one third of my income? 
So this is a big deal. This is Passover. This is the first holiday in their calendar year. So here's where we are. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Passover was a national holiday, one of those three traveling holidays. At the Passover, the Jews would gather, and what would they do? They would remember that mighty deliverance that God had provided for them historically as a nation as He brought them out of their slavery in Egypt and took them toward the Promised Land. Passover is what got that all started. So they would gather at Passover and they would remember God's historic deliverance of them as a people, but they would also look forward in faith because God had promised another deliverer who was going to come and rescue them, not from slavery in Egypt, but rescue them from their slavery to sin and death. They were looking forward to the promised lamb who would take away the sin of the world. So here's this holiday, massive holiday, Passover. And at Passover, the people would bring a sacrifice. It was part of the celebration. They would bring an animal to sacrifice, and that animal would be sacrificed on the altar. They would also eat that sacrifice as a major festive meal. So here in the text, we read this is happening. And the leaders have turned a massive holiday in what should have been a great memorial, a festive holiday, and a worship celebration. The leaders have turned this into a money-making racket. See, the, the people would come from all over, and they'd, they'd, they'd come into Jerusalem, and they'd bring an animal with them. But guess what? Their animal wouldn't pass muster. It wasn't in the right parameters. It didn't fit, and so it didn't qualify to be sacrificed. But that's all right. They had a solution. We have one right here that's already past the bar, and you can buy one of our animals already approved. And so you'd go to buy that approved animal, and guess what? Your Roman currency wouldn't work. You had to exchange your Roman currency into sanctuary shekels so that you could purchase your animal. And guess what? There was a markup on that exchange. Now, this is horrible. Uh, the people are gathering to remember God and to celebrate a holiday and to worship God. And, and the leaders have turned this into a market and a circus and a money-making racket. And you know what happens? Over time, people just adjusted and that became the new normal. That's just how things were done. They no longer brought temple sacrifices because they could purchase there. And they knew they were going to exchange money. They knew they were going to get robbed and ripped off in the process. But that's just how things go. And that's how things devolved. Over time, this became the new normal. Lost. Lost in all of this is the memory of what God has done. No one is thinking about what God has done historically in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt under their slavery. God is gracious and kind to them. No one is thinking about what God has promised to do in providing a Passover lamb that's going to take away their sin. Lost in all of this is the memory of what God has done and the expectation of what God promises to do and the worship of Him has ceased. You know, the only place that this racket could take place in the temple is, is the location in the temple known as the Court of the Gentiles. 
It's the only place large enough. It's a several acre area. It's the only, the only place where this could happen. So the Jews, when they should have been a light to the nations, as they've gathered together and Gentiles have gathered together, the Jews, instead of telling the Gentiles about what God has done and what God has promised to do, what's happening there is something that looks more like Walmart than a worship center. God's reputation is lost. In a real sense, God's reputation is being dragged through the manure. His character is being misrepresented. He is not being worshipped by His people. He's not being upheld as holy and honorable by the Jews. And Jesus arrives on the scene and what does He do? He's like, I'm not going to have that any longer. This will not go on this way. And Jesus upends things literally. And in doing so, that's a greater thing than taking on the TSA and the travel authority and the airport security. Because as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and flips the changes, the money changers tables and drives out the cattle, he is literally taking on the political leaders, the religious leaders, and the economic leaders of his day. You know, John has this account right early in the gospel record. And we know from John, if you read John much, you understand that John doesn't really care much about chronology as he puts forward this gospel. You read the other gospels' accounts, and you have Jesus clearing the temple the last week of his life. He did it on Tuesday, and on Friday he's crucified, because that's what you would do with someone who would do this. Let me ask you, what makes Jesus engage in such drastic measures? Comes into Jerusalem on a holiday, Passover. And he's flipping the money changers' tables. He's driving the cattle out of the court of the Gentiles, driving them out of the temple. What, what would make Jesus engage in such dramatic fashion? The text tells us zeal for his father's house, zeal for his father's honor, zeal for his father's reputation. Jesus won't tolerate his father's reputation being lost in a manner like this any longer. He won't stand for it, and so he'll take action. Let me ask you as we start to think that through a little bit. Would we ever do such a thing for God's honor? Would we ever take such risk? Another question to go along with that that I've thought about as I've put this message together is would we even recognize when our Father's reputation is at stake. I'll leave that in the back of your mind for a few minutes. One of my favorite Old Testament characters, you all have a favorite Old Testament character? If you grew up in church, you learned about all your Old Testament characters. We grew up in this church, we learned about all our Old Testament characters in Awana and other programs like that, Sunday school. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is a man by the name of Phineas. Any of you know Phineas? Uh, Phineas was the, uh, the grandson of, um, of uh, Lot. No, not Lot. Aaron. So he would be Moses' grandnephew. Uh, we read about Phineas at numerous places in the Old Testament, but he shines out most clearly in Numbers chapter 25. I won't have you turn there. I'll just simply tell you the story. But in Numbers chapter 25, Moses is leading the nation of Israel toward the promised land. God has delivered them out of Egypt. They're en route to the promised land. And at this point in their journey, they've settled down in the land of Midian. All of the Israelites are there. Moses is leading them. They've settled down in the land of Midian, right next to the Moabites. 
And while they're settled there for a while, we read that the children of Israel have strayed from God's word and they have become immoral with the neighboring peoples. Uh, they have engaged in sexual immorality with these people and in their pursuit of these relationships, they have actually begun to worship their gods. This is where Israel begins to worship Baal or Baal. So here you have God's children who have been rescued by His grace from their land of slavery, heading to the promised land, and they're engaged in sexual immorality and idolatry. This is a denial of God's word and a rejection of God's love and therefore an invitation for God's discipline. And that's what God does. He begins to discipline His people. And He sends a plague among them. And the Israelites begin to die. And they become aware of their sin and the consequences of their sin. And they begin to repent. And they go to Moses and they plead with Moses to, to, to intercede on their behalf. And Moses calls out to God. And then Moses is calling the children of Israel to repentance. And the people are weeping and repenting and turning from their sin and turning to God. This is a, a massive national revival. And while this is taking place, while Moses is speaking to the people and they're repenting and turning back to God, a man in the crowd, an Israelite man, one of the leaders, Zimri by name. He walks across and he takes a Moabite woman by the hand, Kazbai by name. And instead of telling her about God and repenting of his sin and calling her to repentance, instead of doing that, he takes her by the hand and he walks her in front of the crowd. And they all watch this taking place. And they, he walks this woman across the front, takes her into his tent. And everyone knows what's happening there. The people watch it happen and they are dumbfounded by his defiance. And they see all this play out. And Phineas is standing there. And he won't have it. God's reputation and the safety of God's people are on the line. Phineas will not do Nothing. What does he do? And you remember the story? Phineas grabs a spear, walks in behind that man into his tent, and he runs the spear through both the man and the woman, kebobbing them, if you will, to the ground. They're stuck to the ground, gasping for air, bleeding out, dying. And God says, Here's a man who is as zealous for my honor as I am. And God established with Phineas a covenant of peace. Doesn't that sound interesting? I mean, here's a violent, aggressive action. It blows my mind as I read the account because I, I can hardly imagine grabbing a spear and running it through a man and a woman, sticking them to the ground so they might die. I think, man, this is so incredibly violent, so incredibly aggressive. And God says, well, here's a man who is as zealous for my honor as I am. And he establishes with this man a covenant of peace. For when Phineas ended the life of the brazen sinner, God stopped the plague. Prior to that, 24,000 people had died. Thousands of others were spared because of Phineas's actions. Phineas saved the lives of countless others in his zeal for God. 
He knew what was at stake and he honored God and he literally atoned for the people. Stopping the sin. Now, this morning, we've considered a couple of amazing biblical illustrations that reveal a zeal for God's honor. You have Jesus going into the temple and bringing that whole racket to an end. Uh, We have Phineas uh, spearing Zimri and stopping God's judgment against the sinful people. If, If we were to step back for a moment, and if we were to engage in a conversation, if this was like a Sunday school class, I would ask you, you know what? What's the greatest demonstration biblically that we see that we see in the Bible? What is the greatest demonstration of a zeal for God's honor? Where do we see the most extravagant display of a zeal for God's honor in the Bible? Uh, Joey preached here last Sunday, right? And you have uh, David and Goliath. Incredible. You know, David, he hears Goliath. Goliath is mocking God, and David's like, I'll take him on in the name of the Lord. But if we were to think through, what is the most extravagant display of zeal for God's honor in the Bible? What illustration would we use? I hope it doesn't take us long to reach our answer. At the cross. At the cross, Jesus demonstrated a zeal for God's honor. A zeal and an honoring of God that goes beyond all other examples, illustrations, and actions. Think of it this way. Jesus didn't come to run a sword through sinners like Phineas. That's good news, folks. Jesus didn't come to run a sword through sinners like Phineas. He came to take the sword and to die in the place of sinners. And in so doing, he honored his Father, and he rescued us. Truly, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. The greatest display of a zeal for God's honor, we see it at the cross. In John 3.17, you're in John chapter 2, but in John 3.17, it tells us that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn sinners, but to save them. And in saving sinners, God is honored And sinful people are rescued. God gave us Jesus. The greatest gift at the greatest cost for the most undeserving. And Jesus came and sacrificed himself to honor his Father and to reconcile sinners to himself. And at the cross, Jesus displays the full panorama of all of God's attributes and all of their perfection. If you were to think about God for a little bit and think about the perfection of His attributes, His holiness, His moral perfection, His righteousness, His justice, His judgments, His perfect nature, His impeccable character, we would be reminded that all sin and all moral imperfection is against God and it must be judged. It must be punished. It has to be. God's holiness demands this. For God to look away from sin and not punishment would be a mar on His perfect justice. How could God be just and not punish sin? If we were to press deeper into God's attributes, we would encounter God's love and grace and mercy and tender compassion. And the question would be raised, how can all of these be honored all at once? How can God's holiness and righteousness and justice and wrath against all wrong 
meet with God's love and mercy and tender compassion? How can all of these come together? And as the psalmist says, justice and mercy embrace at the cross. At the cross, we see Jesus honoring all of God's attributes. God's wrath against sin and God's mercy for sinners. God's righteous judgment against all wrong and His compassionate affection for wrongdoers. At the cross, we see God's justice and His love, His indignation and His grace, His punishment and His forgiveness. And here's the point. Jesus didn't come to run a sword through sinners. He came to rescue sinners through the sacrifice of Himself on their behalf. And He did that for you. And He did that for me. And He did that for the world. And in doing it, He honored and expressed His zeal for God's honor honored His Father's glory, and in doing so, provided a rescue for us. Let me close with one uh, last question. We've talked this morning about a zeal for God's honor. We've seen that at the temple. We've seen that in Phineas' life. We see it at the cross. How about you and me? How do you and I best display our zeal for God's honor today? Jesus has done the hard work. But what's left for us? How do we display our zeal for God's honor? I think we best display our zeal for God's honor by taking God at His word and believing in His Son, Jesus, and receiving Him and directing our lives according to His promises. In John chapter 6, I won't have you turn there, but the question is asked, what must, what must we do to be doing the works of God? God has eternally honored His own glory as each member of the Trinity reflects the glory of the other. Uh, you know, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to honor God as holy and to, to express our zeal for His glory? And the answer comes from Jesus Himself. The work of God is this, that you believe in Him in whom He has sent. How do we best display our zeal for God's honor? Believing Jesus. Identifying with Jesus. Standing with Jesus. Showing up for Jesus. Speaking up for Jesus. Identifying with Him. Our zeal for God's honor comes from taking God at His word and having our lives directed by our faith in Jesus Christ. When we fix our eyes on Jesus and we find our lives moving in His direction, our lives in the world reveal God as worthy of being followed. He's worthy of being listened to. He's worthy of being believed. He's worthy of picking up our cross and following Him. Jesus answered the question. Jesus uh, said, by this my Father is glorified. How? John 15. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So we best reflect our zeal for God's honor by believing Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and bearing fruit for Jesus as we believe and abide in Him. As I close this out this morning, I say, well, Jesus has done the hard work. Jesus has done the hard work. Jesus is the one who has come and bore our sins away and honored His Father and rescued us unto Himself. We've got the light work of simply being yoked to Him. Being yoked to Jesus. Meaning we believe in Him and we follow Him and we pick up our cross and, follow and go along with Him. Being yoked to Him is how we will best reveal our zeal for God's honor today and tomorrow and this next week until Jesus comes. Let me close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has done all that is necessary to reveal the greatness of your attributes, your nature, and your character. We stand amazed that you planned this from before the foundation of the world. That your son would come and he would display your righteousness and he would display your love and grace and mercy. He would display your judgments and he would give your forgiveness. All of this would come and take place at the cross. So we stand in amazement at Jesus Christ, in amazement at what you have done on our behalf and how you have revealed yourself this way. Father, we thank you for who Jesus is and for what he has done. We thank you that through taking you at your word and trusting in Jesus Christ, you literally unite us with yourself. I pray that we might be a people who are zealous for your honor in the daily simple things of picking up our cross and following you, showing up for you, speaking up for you, identifying with you day by day, moment by moment. And may your honor be revealed and your glory be revealed in our life as we obey you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We're, gra we're glad to honor him today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.